Ladies and gentlemen, uh, good morning and welcome to WED. I'd now like you to meet our boss, Walt Disney. Hi, travelers. This is Space Mountain Mission Control. Please bear with us. Your ship is being prepped for launch and should be ready to go soon. Beware of hitchhiking ghosts. I am no chicken. I will not talk. You just remain seated and we'll be right with you. W. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your passport to the Disney parks, experiences, movies, and more. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 770. And together, since 2004, when I wrote my very first Walt Disney World trivia book, I wanted to help you not only have the best possible Disney vacation experience when you go to the parks, but I also want to bring you a little bit of that Disney magic wherever you are here on the podcast my weekly live video every Wednesday night, blog, events, weekly newsletter, and more. Please join the community and find everything at www.radio.com. And we're unlocking the vault to the fascinating world of Disney memorabilia and collecting with a look at Up for Auction, a new series that takes us on a thrilling journey through the high-stakes auction of Disney's most coveted collectibles. Join me as I first sit down with the visionary behind this captivating series, Brian Volk Weiss. You may know him from the Netflix series, The Toys That Made Us, The Movies That Made Us, and Behind the Attraction on Disney Plus, and the series host, Chris Hardwick from the Nerdist podcast and The Talking Dead, tons of other places, to uncover some of the magic, the memories, the people, and the stories behind each piece that's up for auction. Of course, I'll have a question for you about collecting and maybe your holy grail piece of Disney memorabilia that you'd love to connect. Then stay tuned for our Disney trivia question of the week and more information and updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. We are all storytellers in our own way, and I think we're also all collectors at heart, too. And we might have, maybe we want to have like a formal collection or display in our homes, or maybe we do. But as Disney fans, I think there is certain memorabilia that we have and that we treasure, or pieces that we wish that we could. And I think that every item in our collection has a story to tell. And this week, we're going to look into a very exciting new series that is, I think, going to capture the heart's of Disney collectors and enthusiasts alike. It is called Upper Auction. It's hosted by none other than Chris Hardwick, who his name you might know from pop culture and comedy. And you also might know that he also has a love for all things Disney. And Upper Auction is this journey into a little bit more of the high stakes world of Disney memorabilia and auctions, again, where every item holds a story. And in many cases, every item is also a piece of history from vintage cars to park decor. There's a lot of treasures hidden within the Disney vault, and it's produced by Nacelle. It's the creative minds behind some of my favorite shows, The Toys That Made Us, and Disney's Behind the Attraction. And this is going to premiere on February 8th on the CW app, and I know that we're in for a treat. So this week, I'm once again joined by producer Brian Volkweiss. 
You may remember him from such WWE episodes where we discussed the Behind the Attraction series on Disney Plus and my live with an interview with him last year from New York Comic Con on show 265. Brian, welcome back to the show. Uh, it is good to be back. Good to see you, Lou. Thanks for having me back. And you as well. And look, listen, we've chatted a few times. We've met a few times. I, I follow you on social. And you are a collector of the items and the stories. I've seen you go to flea markets and garage sales and toy shows and, and comic connections, collect, uh, comic conventions. Um, talk to me a little bit about how your personal love of collecting led to Up for Auction. So, you know, it's funny, man. It, it It's like a lot of shows that we do. Like, I um, uh, <laughs> I have a way I describe this. Uh, is, is this only, is this, is this an all adults audience or is it for kids? <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of a, it's a wide spectrum, but if I have to bleep something out, I will. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not a curve. <laughs> uh, and I can give you numbers. <laughs> My toy collection, the day Toys That Made Us was greenlit, was about 350 to 400 pieces. Uh, it's now, uh, you know, uh, probably uh, somewhere between 4,200 wow. and 4,500 pieces. And that's over six years. Um, so it's the same thing with Disney when Behind the Attraction was greenlit. You know, I had a healthy Disney collection. You know, it, it was a full shelf in my collection. Oh, uh, yeah. Now it's probably seven or eight. <laughs> uh, and, and this show, even worse, um, not only did it feed me even more my passion, because what happens is the more I learn about something and understand, like, its context or its history, the more I want to have it in my collection. But this show, that, that's the normal problem I've been dealing with since Toys That Made Us. This show's problem was not only was all of that going on like always, it was an auction. Mm. So I'm like on set <laughs> buying stuff. <laughs> and like, yeah, so like, I mean, it's the first show. Like, it was so funny, man. When we made uh, Behind the Attraction, um, especially season one, which was all pre-COVID. Every time we had a meeting at Disney, they, you know, Disney has these like kind of exclusive gift shops at all of their offices. Mm. So, like, literally, I mean, like, our, I, I never had a meeting at Disney and didn't <laughs> buy something before or after the meeting. <laughs> this was worse. I mean, I literally spent thousands of dollars while on set making the show. <laughs> So just give them the check right back. Just you might as well keep it and just put it on my account. Yeah, exactly. But yes, it uh, it fed uh, it fed my uh, my my collecting uh, buck. Good. Well, so so give us a bit of a um, you know a thirty thousand foot view of what uh, up for auction uh, is like and sort of what inspired its creation. How did this sort of come into being? So I'll answer in opposite order. So I've known Chris for a while, at least five or six years. We do a lot in the comedy space, as you may know. And um, he called me up one day and was like, hey, I have this idea for a show. I know that there is this huge Disney auction coming. And at the time, it was just a huge Disney auction. It would become the biggest Disney auction mm. of all time. Um 
And he was very tight with the owners uh, of the Van Eaton Galleries, um, Janine and Mike. So we had a meeting with them. They were down to do the show. Um, we interviewed Joel um, by Zoom. You know, he was the one who had collected everything. Um, and it just seemed like a no-brainer. We pitched it. CW loved it. And we made the show. It was that, it was that easy. Um, and then what the show is about, it's, it's my usual favorite kind of show to direct where it's, it's, you have a story. So you have this auction. It's the biggest Disney auction ever. Have I said that before? Yes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and, and you're seeing the, the human story of Joel the seller. The Van Eatons, who are risking hundreds and probably over half a million dollars just to do the auction, print the manual or print mm. the handbooks uh, or the catalogs, um, rent the space, uh, which we shot. By the way, the only thing I will brag about about this show, the only thing I'll brag about, I found the location. <laughs> it, was the, it was a Bed Bath & Beyond that had just got out of business in the Burbank Mall. And we were having a production meeting. And Mike was like, yeah, I'm not sure where we're going to do it this year. And I'm like, I have an idea. And it was literally <laughs> the only thing I would brag about uh, the entire time we made the show. But anyway, so you have that. You have the human element. You know, Joel, this is a 30-year collection. that mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people think Joel was like paying two bucks for something worth a hundred grand. And that's not the case. Very often he was spending sometimes mid five figures to high six figures. So he had a lot at risk if this stuff, you know, his lifelong hobby didn't, you know, if he lost money on it, then you had the gallery itself, the Van Eaton Gallery. So you had all of those human stories. And then on top of that, every item that we focused on in every episode, we did deep dives on. Mm. And there was some like, I mean, crazy interesting stuff and we were able to get so much information about these things that I think even some of the most diehard Disney people like myself, and there's way crazier than me, and I'm pretty crazy, um, will be blown away with what we found out and the stories uh, behind these items. So I love that because it's, it's I sort of envision, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sort of envisioning it, it's the story behind the Peter Pan ride vehicle, the, the haunted yeah. mansion portrait from the 70s, the original small world animatronic character, those items, the person that collected it, and now sort of, are you, are you documenting kind of the, the auction process itself and seeing what that is like as well? Yes. So thank you for saying that. It's also a huge, because again, I've been buying stuff from auctions for 20 years. Um, I had no idea. Like, I, I mean, I can give the Van Eatons, I, I mean, I can give them one of the best compliments I can give anybody. Um, and I, I, I give this compliment to the parks as well. I, I don't know how they make money. Like the amount <laughs> of work and the amount of employees that go into this is is insane. Um, so yes, you read the the auction broke all these records and it made all this money. Sure. But like, those catalogs ain't cheap to make. Mm. Um, th there's probably three or four dozen employees working six months 
Um, so it's it we documented that process. And again, for me as somebody who's been going to auctions a lot for two decades, I know how they work, but I did not know how they worked, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, because I love the idea of not just the history of the item, but as somebody who also likes to collect, not at this level, right? There's different <laughs> levels of collecting, but it's just, it's the history. It's sort of the the journey of the item and sort of the, even beyond sort of the, the provenance of the item itself, but who it touched and how it got from point A into your hands, into your, and eventually the, the buyer's collection. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely, but... Again, I know you haven't seen the show, but you know, the I'll never forget the first time I went into the warehouse and like, dude, they like they had the like the maquette first ever model prototype for It's a Small World. Well, like the thing that you see Walt in front of, like looking at with like Bob Gurr or whoever it was, like that was for sale. <laughs> like I, 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 I literally like was standing quarter of an inch away from it. Like it was the weirdest thing. What they had, they had almost all of the original, like again, maquette models for the 1964 World's Fair. Like uh -huh. the stuff that would, like as you know, I've been in the Disney archives. Like yeah. I've been in there. I've seen what they have. I've held the founding document of the Disney Corporation to this day. I don't know why they let me hold it. Um, I literally took a picture of it that's like hanging in my office right now. Um, but it's like walking into the Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, final scene, but yeah. being able to buy the stuff that's in there. Yes. But in this case, unlike when I've been in the official archives, like it was just there. Like, like I, I could have picked it up and threw it against the wall. Like, there was no rope around it. There was no box. There was no nothing. It was just there. And 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 he he was a Joel was able to get everything. Like it, it was in mint condition. I'm actually, if I'm being completely honest, and I don't mean to turn this into a therapy session, <laughs> I, I am extremely mad at myself uh, for not buying that um, that small world uh, uh, model. I like. I, I messed up. I mean, I literally mm. just messed up. Um, so there were a couple of things I messed up on. That was one of them. But uh, there was an original um, Disney helmet uh, from the construction of Disneyland mm. that just due to me being busy directing and stuff, um, so good for the show, bad for my collection, um, <laughs> I missed. And it, it like kills me. And like, I know price is relative, but a lot of these things I think were going pretty reasonably mm -hmm. for what they are. And it must be amazing to see that you clearly are not alone, right, in your love of this. You know, we as Disney fans, and certainly I think as, as collectors at, at a, a, a different scale and level, the amount of, of true passion that they have for it. And, you know, what I love about auctions is, you know, it's it's the it's the chase, right? It's the chase of... of finding the item and then the excitement of the bidding back and forth that I'm assuming is going to be captured in that show. And then seeing, I'm sure some amazing prices for some of the items that went on, on up for auction. You're, you're a thousand percent right. And it was one of the coolest things about this show. Every single person involved with this 
was a Disney nutcase like me. Like Mike and Janine, they go to the they go to Disneyland probably once a month. Like they they were like in fact they started their business on their first auction ever was Disney sells. Um, Joel makes me look like I've never even heard of this Disney thing. Um, I mean, to put it mildly, that's actually an understatement. Um, and then the whole crew. I mean, and and it was a lot of the people on the crew originally were all about Disney and were like killing to get on the show. But then there were a fair amount of people that worked on the show that I would say had a normal appreciation for Disney at the beginning, but by the end went kind of crazy like I did. So it I mean the half the crew was getting stuff at the auction. And you know, one of the things I always want to say about the auction, because Janine and Mike are super duper smart about this, and I don't think anybody ever talks about this. They very deliberately have products at all price levels. Mm-hmm. So like not so yes, of course we brag about the stuff that sold for 350 grand because that gets everybody interested. Sure. But there was tons of stuff that even with the premium, the buyer's premium, were going for less than 200 bucks. And they do that, and this is, again, this is something I didn't know. They do stuff like that to basically build the fan base for auctions in general. So like 20 years ago, when I was starting off at auctions and I was making like, you know, 12 to 18,000 bucks a year, I was still able to buy stuff at auctions for 50 to 200 bucks. Now that I have a little bit more money, I can buy more stuff, but they got me bitten. Mm. They do that. And and it's it's brilliant if you think about it. Well, and because sometimes too, Brian, it's not about the e-ticket item, right? The big things that you see that have come out of the parks that have, are, are attraction vehicles and, and pieces of, of history like that. But sometimes it's meaningful because it's meaningful to you. Right, exactly. and I think, and that's what I love. And I've seen again. You talk about the, the beauty of the Van Eaton catalogs. You find items in there that might not have any importance to somebody else, but that's the thing that you remember for your childhood. So the intrinsic value to you is much higher because of, of the meaning it has for you on a, on a very subjective level. I you 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 nailed it. I listen. If you had said to me like ten years ago, Brian. Do you think one day you'll have a pretty big Captain EO collection? Uh, I would have Love said, no, what the hell are you talking about? But what happened was, while we were making the first season of Behind the Attraction, I was reminded of Captain EO. And by being reminded of it, I remembered going there with my parents when they were both alive. And I'll never forget... I was sitting in between my mom and dad. I don't know if you remember this, but it opens with a meteorite Mm -hmm. coming right out. It's the best 3D I've ever seen in my life. This meteorite comes out of the screen, and I remember putting my hand forward to touch it. You know, I was like five or six or something. And I remember both my parents, who were not big laughers, I might add, (laughs) both my parents, when they saw me doing that, laughed at the same time. And- I remember my first thought was, what the hell are they laughing at? My second thought was, oh, dumbass, it's 3D. <laughs> I put my hand down. But I, because of that, I mean, yeah, I now, uh, yeah, I, I have probably too big a Captain EO collection. That's awesome. I love it. You don't hear a lot of people having 
you know, a large, if not too big, Captain EO collection. But you're right. Like, I mean, I, look, yesterday, my son and I love going to comic conventions. There's one here in Orlando. We went yesterday, and there was something he was looking at, and he's like, ah, it's stupid. I'm like, it's not stupid if it matters to you, right? If it's meaningful right. to you. If you want it, and, it, and it's going to bring you joy by putting it on your shelf, or in some of these cases, in their garage, or whatever it might be. But so let's sort of continue that thread and and in, in touching on Chris Hardwick because a lot of people I think know him from Talking Dead or they know him from Singled Out on MTV, maybe from House of a Thousand Corpses, the, the Rob Zombie film. But he too is he's not just the host of this. You said earlier, talk about how his enthusiasm for collecting and auctions and Disney influences not just his presence on the show but what he brings. To the production itself so first of all i mean he has a i would conservatively guess he's in the top five best disney collections uh, on earth um wow. and, and i mean like premium stuff high-end high-end stuff so he i i mean again it's interesting it's like i'm supposedly an expert on auctions i'm supposedly an expert on disney Every time he and I were together, it was him talking and me all but taking notes. Like, he just knows everything mm. about the process. Uh, I also learned over the years a couple things I had bid on and lost on. He won. Uh, that was like a <laughs> fun thing we, uh, we figured out in the middle of Iowa. Um, but uh, I was kind of like, well, I was like, wait a minute. Um, but no, he... He went to the parks as a kid with his parents, and it's as cliche but beautiful and joyful a story as, as the thing I just said about Captain EO. Um, and it just really, it, it's a base of who he is. Mm. Like, he loves Disney. He loves Walt's idea for what Disney was supposed to be and what it became. And this whole show literally was an excuse to celebrate it. Yeah, I mean, it... it it was crazy. I mean, he was buying stuff too. While that. I mean, I love that because that because that's going to come through, Brian. Like we as as fans and viewers, we're going to be. We can tell, right? We can tell if the passion is authentic or not. And I just have a feeling. I mean, clearly it comes through with you. I have a feeling that's going to come through with Chris as well. Here's two examples I can give you, or one example, but two things. There are the opening of the first episode. He is wearing a cast member's costume from one of the attractions. Uh, and like, so like that's his that he wore that like he woke up the day we were shooting that scene. He woke up, took a shower, I'm assuming, then put on this costume he wanted from prior auction uh, from Haunted Mansion and wow. came to work and we shot. And he's literally dread. He drove to set wearing I love the it. cast member's costume. He did that later on at the auction. You'll see him wearing a bright orange jumpsuit. That's another cast member's costume. So, and, and there's a whole plot line through the season of him. He had, um, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but he had a certain amount of stretch paintings, real ones from like back in the 40s. Or mm. Sorry, that would be impossible. Uh, back <laughs> in the 50s. And, um, and he, a big plot was him getting it framed. Because how do you frame something like that? Yeah. Combined with this auction had one of the few stretch paintings that he didn't have. So he wanted to get that. But that was one of the premier things everybody was bidding on. 
So there's a lot of stuff like that, that where you see his like personal life and his personal collection literally morphing into the show. I love that, Brian, because, you know, you can send you can send an actor to set and say, put this costume on. And like, what are, what are you making me wear? I don't get it. Yeah. It matters so much more to hear that it's his, right? It's exactly. out of his collection. It came out of something that he personally loved. What do you want us? What do you want us as the viewers to take away from the series when we watch it? I want you to take away that this is a world of like passion. It's a world of joy and it's on all ends. It's the joy of Joel who has amassed this collection, but you know, his kids are out of the house. He's he left Florida and moved to the Midwest. So you're seeing a lifetime collector who's, you know, got a little more gray hair now than he did when he started his collection. Then you have this, this husband and wife, mom and pop business that sells these things at these auctions. And then you have Chris, you have me who, you know, he's talent. I'm a director, producer, like all of us have jobs, mm -hmm. but like none of this was a job. So yeah. what we're hoping to do is inspire people to understand like you don't have to just sit there and watch the movies or watch the TV shows almost regardless of what your budget is. You can have, you know, we talk about this a lot in the first episode of Toys That Made Us, the Star Wars episode. Mm -hmm. Like you you it's like a totem. It's like something you can put like and hold from your passion and make it real. You know, I'm a huge Trekkie. There was, of course, like the week after the uh, the Van Eaton's auction, there was one of the biggest Star Trek auctions that has ever occurred. And I have a piece of, a, you know, a, a Star Trek ship that, I, I mean, I'll be walking through my house at one in the morning, my whole family's asleep, and I'll literally just go into my collection, turn on the lights, look at it, it fills me with joy, turn the lights off, go to bed, <laughs> I can do that for the rest of my life. I That's get it, right? It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the value, right? The the monetary value doesn't, or you have to quickly tell me, what, what ship was it from, what piece is it from? Actually, I've never said this publicly before. No, I mean, if you don't want to, that's okay. But I was uh, a Trek fan too, so. Secret, but, I, and I can't even, if you're, are you a Trekkie? Yeah. Oh, then I mean, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll appreciate that. I have the Enterprise C nacelles. And it's like, how how do I have that? Yeah, it's it's it, yeah. and by the way, if you're a Trekkie, you'll love this. The reason why the nacelles are separate from the ship is because the ship, they tore the nacelles off, put on some new nacelles, did some other stuff, and it became like a floating model. Uh, in the Battle of Wolf 359 background. So wow. I, I'm not sure what happened to the saucer section and the star drive, but the nacelles were saved. So it's it's just crazy. And that's in my room now. That's amazing. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. By the way, you'll love this. We should probably get back to, to Disney. <laughs> what, I, what Can I tell you what I got at the auction? Yeah, man, I'm super curious. And again, I, like I'm telling you this, I feel like I'm lying. Like I cannot believe I have this. I have one of the baskets 
that was going around the ceiling from the original Star Tours ride. So, no you know, kidding. It's a draw, a droid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one of those <laughs> on the ceiling of my my collection. Like, it, it doesn't even make sense. And somebody else might see that and be like, "What's the stupid basket?" But those yeah. of us who are Disney of like, it's a basket from the queue of Star Tours. Like we get, yeah. we understand why like that matters to have something that is unique, right? There's none other of those, you know, out there in the world. You can't reproduce those. So, um, yeah. and and it's from the first one. Yeah. Like if you go there now, the queue is completely different. There's no more baskets. But yeah. they, as you know, they build Star Tours all over the world. This was the first one. Like when they built one in Orlando, when they built one in Paris, this is what they looked at mm -hmm. to replicate. That's cool, man. Like, and it's, it's in like, my <laughs> it's cool. I get it. I get it to have a piece, whatever it did, just the piece is from, from this thing that was meaningful to you, right? Whether you're yeah. a Star Tours fan, whether you're a Buzz Lightyear fan, it doesn't matter what it is, having yeah. a little piece of that. Because it is, it's a piece of history. It is a true piece of history. I remember writing it the first time, like with my grandfather. Like, I, I mean, it was, I mean, again, as cheesy as this sounds, I mean, it was like being in the movie because I was yeah. so young. It was just insane. And so, again, the idea that me and my grandfather were on that ride and there is a 99.9999999% chance that the basket in my collection is what was going over our heads while we were waiting. My grandfather's the greatest person I ever met. He's been dead 30 years. But this thing, in quotes, saw my grandfather mm -hmm. and I when I was like, whatever, eight years old. It's Dude, a you're giving me chills. You're giving me chills. Like <laughs> I had, I mean, I don't know if chills this second, but I mean, just no, I get it. Like when the auction ended and I got it. It was like, I mean. and then I actually went and picked it up. It was like, what the? Yeah, that's what I mean. It means something to you. And again, it, it, the, the price doesn't matter. It's sort of what yeah. that thing represents. Listen, I Brian, I could talk to you all day. And man, I'd love to see your collection someday. But I want to be respectful of your time. Just very quickly, um, the show is available via the CW app, correct? Correct. correct. Talk to me just very quickly about um, deciding to uh, put it there as opposed to other platforms. So, you know, you when you pitch a show, you go with the partner, you, you know, you think is the best fit. CW has a huge pop culture background, obviously. They love the show. They were very passionate. And like everybody these days um, is switching um, slowly but surely from a, uh, you know, cable business model to a digital model. So they're trying to move people from only watching on cable to watching their digital service as well. And we're one of their first shows uh, that they put on their uh, on their digital service, which in my, in my opinion is a real honor. And it's yeah. all episodes on day one. So I was just going to say, everything drops on day one, so I'm looking forward to binging. So, boom. When it comes out on February 8th, not, on, not on April 8th. And, and again, I think sort of the takeaway too is it's not just about enjoying watching the stories and seeing the items, but maybe inspiring you to start or grow or or find the thing that that matters to you and collect it um, as well. So, yeah, uh, Brian, 
I, I dig you, man. I love the stuff that you have done from but behind the attraction to the Simpsons and and uh, the the toys that made us. Uh, hopefully, one day I can I can see some of what your collection looks like. And, and in LA, let me know. We'll have you over. Thank you very much, man. Last question for you: What's your personal holy grail that I don't have? That you do not have? Oh, uh, wait. Do or don't? That you don't? Oh, give me both. Now nah, you got to give me both. Oh, the do is the Enterprise C nacelles. That's easy. Uh, Though I will say, it recent. I still got to give it credit uh, props. I have the um, if you're a Trekkie, Mm -hmm. um, I have the physical device that was used to make the transporter effect for all seven seasons of Next Generation and the pilot of Deep Space Nine. (laughs) So the nacelles defeated that uh, as my. Person is my favorite thing in the collection, but um, yeah, the holy grail of holy grails is this very obscure Star Wars character named uh, Vlix, uh, who was only sold in Brazil. Um, was part of the uh, the cartoon series Droid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really long story, but uh, it is the rarest Star Wars production figure, right. um, and it is the only thing. It, like when Toys That Made Us came out. I probably had about 15 grails. Uh, now I'm uh, 14 of them. I have got, <laughs> uh, I'm, I am, it's, it's down to Vlix and uh, Vlix ain't cheap. Vlix I've ain't heard, cheap. I've heard of Vlix. Everybody talks about rocket firing Boba Fett, but I've also heard the, the tales rocket and the legend of X. Fett never went into production. Yeah. Those were all prototypes. This was, this was a figure that went into production. It was only sold in Brazil for a very odd reason. Um, and then Luke, they weren't supposed to be for sale. Lucasfilm sent the company a cease and desist. They brought the figures back to the warehouse, completely unrelated. There was a warehouse fire. So the only blixes that exist were the two weeks. And it wasn't even like 14 days. It was literally like 11 days. The only blixes that exist were the blixes that sold in those 11 days in Brazil. Within reason. <laughs> and that's why there's... <laughs> well, if you're listening from Brazil and you've got a Vlix in your garage or your attic, uh, I know a guy who is <laughs> who is looking for one. Uh, Brian Volkweiss, thank you so very much, man. Not just for your time today, but everything that you do and thank share you. through the series. I'm really looking forward to seeing this next week. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. I could have talked to Brian for hours, not just about the show, but his collection and collecting in general. Unfortunately, he and we only have so much time. Speaking of which, I'm now going to share my conversation with the host of the show, Chris Hardwick, who I unfortunately had very limited time with. And the more I talked to him, the more I wanted to keep talking with him. The audio might sound a little different, a little funky. I was recording this actually from the middle of the ocean somewhere in the middle of a cruise ship. I was away last week and it was only time I could get to chat with Chris. So if the audio sounds a little bit different, that's why. But I hope you enjoy my conversation with host Chris Hardwick. Uh, There are many reasons and ways you might know and probably love Chris Hardwick. It might be from The Talking Dead, The Wall, the Nerdist or Idiot Podcast, Singled Out, or even House of a Thousand Corpses, which I watched and loved. But did you also know that he is a massive Disney fan, and he is also an even bigger collector, and that he is the host of the brand new show called Up for Auction on the CW app? 
I did, and I have lots of questions, so I'm excited to welcome Chris Hardwick to the show. Chris, thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Uh, listen, I, I would love to talk to you. I want to talk about your, your passion for collecting, but give me a little bit of the Chris Hardwick origin story about your love and connection to the Disney parks. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I think it's probably pretty similar to most other people. My parents started taking me when I was very young, um, you know, to, to Disneyland uh, in Anaheim. And also my mom was from Miami, so we would go to Florida often. So we went to Walt Disney World uh, quite a bit as well. And, you know, I think I, I grew up in a time where, you know, you could watch um, – that uh, the wonderful world of Disney on TV, I think it was on Sunday nights maybe. And so I loved all the animated films. I loved the live action films. I mean, I was just, I was just always a fan. I mean, I particularly was a, a, a fan of animation as well. Um, and so, you know, it just, uh, it just resonated with me the way I think it does for, for most other people who start going to the park, you know, when they're kids. And then, as I got older, you know, I moved to Southern California um, when I was a senior in high school, and I went to UCLA. And you know, my friends and I in the <laughs> in the early '90s, uh, you could get a Southern California residence pass for Disneyland for like ninety nine dollars. And this was it was a different it was a slightly different Disneyland. There was no California Adventure. Um, Disney had not acquired a ton of other IP, so it was really it was it it, it was a it was a slightly different park. Um, and you know, I think probably one of my favorite rides doesn't exist anymore, which was the people mover because you would slowly move <laughs> through the Tron light cycle grid. And I think one of the things I got from one of the auctions is a, is a frame of film, a couple frames of film from the Tron projection from oh, the people that's mover. Awesome. I love and to me that, 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 so, right. So to me, that sort of, that sort of, um, explains like what the theme of the show is which is you know it's not just about people buying items from the disney parks or the films or whatever it's like there are stories that are kind of bubble wrapped around these items that make them special to us like who like how many other people would have cared about a few frames of film from the tron <laughs> projection of the people mover that's so specific you know but to me that had meaning to me and in those days, in the in those days, in the early '90s, you know, I, I you know, we could we could leave uh, Westwood where UCLA was, get to the park at like 10 o'clock at night, you know, every night, in about 40 minutes or so, maybe 45, and then run through the park. And the last two hours, the park was open. It really was not that crowded back then, mm -hmm. so you could just get off a ride, you could get off Space Mountain and just get right back on. So that was kind of our a nightly ritual for you know. A whole summer one year was just almost every night just going to the Disney park and riding everything over and over for the last two hours the park was open. Obviously, it's changed a lot. The parks are bigger. There's a lot more crowded. There's a lot more stuff. Still amazing. But, you know, like that period of time, you know, I think that's why I was so blown away that in the auction, I, you know, I see like when I go, I'm going through the warehouse and Mike Van Eaton, who owns the gallery that's putting on the auction, he and his wife Janine own it. I see like a sliver of something under a tarp and he goes, you know what that is? I go, that's a Skyway car. Those don't exist anymore. I used to ride those from one side of the park to the other. They would never have that now. You know, if it was just open on the side, I'm sure, you know, like it, it just like, it was not, it, it, you know, 
I think I even make a joke about it in the show, like, you know, of, of course no one was spitting off the sides <laughs> right. of these, you know, like it, it just, it, it just, it just represented a, like it was a snapshot of a, a park that I went to when I was a kid that kind of is, doesn't exist anymore. It's still wonderful. I still go to the park all the time, but those, those, those times that form the core memories for us, you know, um, I think that's what really fuels this kind of an auction more so than if the auction were about like something else, right. you know, like Disney, the, the, the stories around Disney, the memories, there's such beauty in it and having a, a physical representation from the park that, that really is, is just kind of this beacon of, of something that was special in your life to me is really what the auction is all about, you know? And I don't think we, have ownership over the things that we buy or acquire for us and my wife we're both collectors i think we see these things as we're like temporary caretakers of these pieces that are not just artistic masterpieces because the imagineers were amazing but and are amazing but also like they're like part of pop culture history you know like they're <laughs> historical pieces and there aren't really museums for these historical pieces so we as private collectors kind of have to you know preserve them and then and then just pass them forward in time to people who also care and, and take care of them preserve them well watching you now and then seeing you on the show immediately like the word that kept coming up that was that your reaction was authentically you there was no scripts no cue cards like <laughs> you are standing in our no. place reacting the way we would you're with this like wide-eyed disbelief and childlike wonder like i imagined that brian's direction was just like mic him up and let him go which is brilliant because we feel like we're watching a friend that gets us and is standing in our stead well i appreciate that you say that because it really is it is emotional for me and there's there's one of the episodes where i walked through the exhibit with my mom and it's like it, it was such this beautiful, connective, emotional experience because she started having, I mean, it's like she didn't know what she was coming to see. She's never watched like, you know, entertainment auctions before. She doesn't know. And she shows up and she starts seeing all this stuff. And she's like, she starts getting choked up because it's bringing back all these memories for her. And we just had this really beautiful moment together because it just reminded her of all these stories and all these moments from my childhood, which resonated with me when we got to take our two-year-old daughter Dimity to the park for the first time a couple months ago and it's like these are the and people would always say to me like when you take your child to the park for the first time and subsequent times you really start seeing the park through fresh eyes again where it's like you're experiencing it with them as they are kind of finding out you know and 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 I, we immediately discovered that her favorite ride was a little mermaid ride and it's like <laughs> That's always going to be special to her because that was, even if she doesn't necessarily consciously remember, because she's only two, she was a little younger then, she's just before two, almost two, and so, but that's in there, you know, and so it, it just, these experiences are like really wonderful human experiences. I really can't, I would have done this even if it wasn't a show and it wasn't a job, but the fact that I get to make a show about this and share it, and the fact that it's a job is mind-melting to me that this is something that I get to do. So, yes, the reactions that you're seeing are not put on. They're not active. These are genuinely, you know, my reactions because I can't believe that I get to do this and see this stuff up close. And, and you know what's funny? And, and I'm noticing again here, like the things you're talking about are not things. You're talking about people, right, and personalities, which makes the show so relatable and so personal. Like in that first episode, when you first walked in and were seeing the collection, 
you and I were doing the exact same thing. You were screaming out, I had this, or I wanted this, or I remember this from my childhood, and you wanted to just take it off the shelf and play with it or hug it because it brings back such, like, personal, emotional, yes. subjective memories. And, and it, absolutely, Lou. And, you know, it's like, even when you're, even if it's something that you don't necessarily have a connection to, when you're watching, like, there, there, was, a, there was a person who, you know, just loved Figment. And Figment was the purple dragon who was part of Epcot Center and kind of the mascot. And it's like, and then watching him describe, you know, his connection to this character and his love for it. And, you know, that Figment went away for a while and then came back. It's like, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying because I also have, you know, X, Y, or Z. And so it, it feels very comfortable to be in the community and company of people who understand and appreciate, you know, I, I mean, it, there's nothing, if you, if people want to think about this stuff as investments, that's fine. Think about it as an investment. It's your thing. You can think about it however you want. For me, it's really about the, you know, the, the stories and the memories and what's really human and special about it and why it's special. Because then every time you look at that thing, you get this, this really wonderful feeling about, you know, what I believe, you know, Walt always intended to achieve, which was to, to have that little bit of magic that we all feel, you know, to like the hope and the beauty and, you know, the wonder. And so it is just kind of having representations of those things that help remind us of that, you know? So it doesn't matter if you spend six figures on something or like $40 on, you know, a menu from one of the restaurants that was special to you. It's, it's all worth the emotional value that it brings to you. Yeah. And that, again, you're sort of speaking very much my, and I'm sure people who are listening, their language, because the, the sh- again, the show is, is about the items, but it's about the people. And, and I think there's an element of it too, about educating viewers about the history and the significance of some of the memorabilia that's featured as well. I mean, that to me is, is, is where Nacelle really, they, Working with Nacelle was so wonderful. You know, I was such a fan of what Brian and Nacelle had done at doing the toys that made us, the movies that made us. I found out all this stuff about Ghostbusters. I thought I knew everything about this movie. But they did such an incredible deep dive. You know, behind the attraction, um, I remember when Disney Plus was first forming, I had uh, pitched a show. And it was like that. That was sort of the idea of it. And they were like, we're already doing, we're already well into production on that. And it was behind the attraction. And I didn't care that I wasn't doing it. I was delighted that someone was doing it already. And, and I loved that show. I'm fascinated by the Imagineers. I'm fascinated by their just artistry and problem solving and engineering prowess. And so, um, you know, it was all just really fascinating. And Nacelle does such a great job of finding these, these little pieces and nuggets of information and then like just gift wrapping them. And so I learned stuff on this production that I didn't know. <laughs> so it was really fantastic. You know, we had a great showrunner by the name of Steve Hoffman and they just did such a beautiful job that I, it's a show I would watch even if I had nothing to do with it. So says the man who shows up for his first day of work in an authentic haunted mansion Butler costume that you didn't buy for the show. You just, I did it was that. Indic- <laughs> Brian was like, I, I had, it. Have, yeah, I had I it for years. And that's what I mean. You know, we talk about authenticity. You know, you weren't told to. You weren't given that at wardrobe. You just showed up because that's how you, the fan, wants to see. And that's why I think it's 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 the reason why the show resonates and relates to us. We feel like we're watching along with a friend and you're standing there um, sharing that experience with us. All right. Last question. Uh, Chris, again, I've got a million questions. 
there has to be for you, you're seeing all these incredible items, the one that you just wish if you were able to, the thing that you wish that you could have added to your collection. And maybe I haven't gotten to the last episode yet. Maybe you actually did. Um, I'll just spoil it. I, I did not. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, this is another very specific thing. Um, but in the Haunted Mansion, at least in Disneyland, obviously, you know, all the, all the mansions are slightly different themed. Uh, so, but in, in, in Haunted Mansion Disneyland, and they may have this at Disney World, I just, I can't remember. It's been a minute since I've been, since I've been to Disney World, but at the mansion in Disneyland, there, uh, when you step out of the stretching portrait room and you're in line before you get on the doom buggy, uh, and you know, to the, to the right of you, there are all these really great lenticular painting, uh, portraits of, you know, just like the portraits that change, you know, depending on how you, the angle that you're looking at them. But on the opposite side of that are these velvet ropes that kind of keep the line moving. And on top of the posts that hold the velvet ropes are these, I want to, I'm fairly certain maybe Mark Davis designed these, but they're mm-hmm. these. So I apologize if that's, if, if I'm, if I'm wrong about that, but I thought maybe I thought he did, but anyway, there are these gorgeous solid brass bat stanchions. Mm-hmm. The stanchions are the little statues that are at the top of the posts and they are so cool and they're solid brass <laughs> and they never come up for auction. And there was one in, there was one in there in Joel's collection. And I was like, it's a bat stanchion. Who else is going to, well, of course, like a ton of other people also wanted that thing. And so I put in my first bid and I was, I was blown out of the water just in the pre-bids on the internet. Like, so I'd immediately jumped to some incredible number. I was like, Oh, I'm priced out of that, you know, but again, it, it like the thing that made me feel good about it was like, I really do believe the person who got that it meant something to them and they were going to care for it. So I think that's the other thing too, is that, it's not about, no, I didn't get that. It's like, okay, well, at least someone got it who cares about it, you know? And maybe it'll come up again at some point. Maybe another one will. But I adore those bat stanchions. And the next time any of you are at, uh, at Disney Park and you are on the Haunted Mansion ride, just look for them. They are so beautifully designed and crafted. Um, and again, solid brass. They're just the coolest. So, um, yeah, that, that, was, that was the piece that I had my eye on. I wish I was recording from home as opposed to recording from the middle of the ocean so you could see the replica of the bat stanchion I have sitting on my desk. Uh, again, you talk about relatability. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a real one. But well done, close, sir. Well done. Somewhere to get. Uh, Chris Hardwick from You know what? Auction. That's, uh, you're closer than I am. I don't even have that. <laughs> uh, this has been amazing, oh, Chris. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much, Lou. I appreciate Thanks for talking to me, and and thank you for your fandom, and thank you for your kind words. Thanks very much, Chris. Really appreciate it. (laughs) Bye-bye. It's time for our Disney trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or how well you pay attention to the details which you see, hear, remember, maybe even taste. And if you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest is once again brought to you by you. And what I mean is that by being part of the WW Radio Nation, you can help bring every episode of the show to life, the live broadcasts, the contests, giveaways, and the events. They're all thanks to buy for with and about you and you can join the nation family for as little as a dollar per month and get exclusive rewards every month depending on your level like scavenger hunts group video calls trivia quests get access to our private facebook group shirts stickers monthly care packages 
early access and discounts to special events and more. And I want to thank some new and longtime members of the Nation family, including Katie Bell, Heather Ray, Angelo and Lori Oliveri, Bob Burke and Callie Neal. I love and sincerely appreciate you. And if you want to find out how you can join the nation, you can visit www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's and select our winner. So last week we celebrated or lamented the closing of Country Bear Jamboree. And in honor of the show, which I promise is coming back in a new and updated format, your question last week was to tell me, what is the name of the raccoon that pops up out of Henry's hat? And the answer is Sammy. Sammy is the raccoon that is living inside of Henry's hat. He sort of acts almost like a coonskin hat on top of Henry's hat and sings with him in harmony when he sings the Ballad of Davy Crockett. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one. Congratulations if you got this right, by the way. Last week, you were playing for a WW Radio 3D keychain, stickers, pin, and bonus mystery prize. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is... Anthony DeBona. So, Anthony, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. And if you played last week and didn't win, that's okay because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, this coming weekend is the Princess Half Marathon Weekend event, which began back in 2009. But this event actually replaced another Run Disney themed race. What was it called? What race did the Princess Half Marathon Weekend replace in Walt Disney World back in 2009? You have until Sunday, February 25th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to WDWRadio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there. Again, this week, you're going to play for the keychain, the stickers, pin, and a bonus mystery prize. So good luck and have fun. Thank you for joining me for the first time or once again this week. I sincerely appreciate you spending and sharing your time with me. Thanks again to Brian Volkweiss and Chris Hardwick for sharing their time with us. Again, I'd love to know what piece of Disney memorabilia is your personal holy grail. You can let me know by calling the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. Or come be part of the community and conversation over in the clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. You can also connect with me elsewhere on social. I'm at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, a little bit of X. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on an upcoming listener email show, you can email me, Lou, at www.radio.com. And of course, don't forget, that as much as I love connecting and chatting with you online, I still believe that nothing beats a handshake and a hug. Check out our events page over at www.radio.com slash events. And our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World is going to be this coming weekend, Saturday, February 24th, from 1 to 2 p.m. in Disney Springs at Exposition Park, which is located in between the Starbucks and Summer House. It's fun. It's free. You can come alone. Bring the entire family. would love to see and meet you there. Again, visit www.radio.com slash events for more information and to RSVP. And we have not one, but two group cruises coming up, including our five-night Halloween on the high seas this October on the Disney Magic out of Fort Lauderdale with a stop at Lookout Key at Lighthouse Point and our seven-night Western Caribbean cruise on the brand new Disney Treasure, February 8th, 2025. Can't wait to see that new ship with you. And of course, it's also WW Radio's 20th anniversary, so it's going to be a lot to celebrate together. To find out more, get a free no-obligation quote from my friends over at Mouse Fan Travel. You can visit www.radio.com slash cruises. And in addition to everything I do here at www.radio.com, I am also 
looking to help you elevate your journey to success, both personally and professionally, please go and visit the brand new, relaunched this weekend, loumangelo.com. You can learn more about my momentum events in Walt Disney World, one-on-one coaching. I'll be launching a new, updated mastermind group coming in March. And for the past 15 or so years, I'm also a professional keynote speaker, and I would love the opportunity to come to your event conference, business, or school with lessons to inspire and transform from the Disney parks on customer service and experience, as well as leadership lessons from Walt Disney. And speaking of events, I am very excited that my 2024 Momentum Weekend Retreat is just around the corner and tickets are now on sale. Picture this. It is a weekend, April 28th through the 30th in Orlando, right near Walt Disney World, where a small group of only eight entrepreneurs come together in this beautiful 10-bedroom vacation home. It's not just a retreat. It's really a chance to deep dive into your business and your personal growth, but be surrounded by like-minded people in a fun yet very focused setting. So if you're looking for that breakthrough moment in your business, this retreat is made just for you. We're talking about expert guidance, collective brainstorming, and actionable strategies that are all designed to literally transform your business and help propel you towards success. And guess what? Tickets are now on sale with a special early bird discount of $200 off until February 25th. We now only have, I think, five spots available. And this event sells out every year. And this event is not just about growing your business. It really is about preparing for the future, creating long-lasting connections, getting accountability, and building a support network that continues long after the weekend is over. For more details, head on over to lumangelo.com, click on the retreat tab. It's not just an event. It is an investment in your business. I hope to see you there. And if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out, lou at www.radio.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word, tell a friend, share a link to this or your favorite episode on social and tag me at Lou Mangiello. I'll follow you back and I'll reshare it. Please join me this and every Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WWE Radio Live. This week, I'll be on, let's just say, I'll be at a different destination that I'm sure is going to surprise you. And finally, most importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love and appreciate you. I hope that this not only is your best week ever, that you continue to remember to choose the good in your thoughts, in your actions, and how you treat and interact with other people. I promise that a slight shift in how you look at people and look at things and choose the good and find the good in each and every thing and person that you interact with will make a huge difference in your day-to-day happiness. And even more so, that happiness becomes contagious. So really, you being happy will help make the world a better place, one person, one choice, one day at a time. I love you. I appreciate you. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou, it's Patrice Brody from Metro Boston. You are the sweetest. If you are one, I was listening to the new program last night, and I was thinking, if you are one one millionth as nice, as genuine, as honorable, and as looking for the good as you seem to be, and I think you're much more than one one millionth. God bless you. You are in a lucky place. You appreciate your life. You got a life you appreciate. You urge other people to appreciate theirs and tell them how to do it and suggest how to make it happen by looking for the good. God bless you in everything. I hope you have a great day, great week, great month, great everything, because you you, that's what you wish for others, and I hope you know that many, I'm sure many, 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 many people are wishing that for you. Take care.